Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, welcome all of our campuses, McKinney, Frisco West, uh, Prosper, Frisco East here, all of you online. How many are feeling good today? Man, I am, I'm feeling good. Excited about today. Um, a couple of things, parenting seminar uh, Friday. We've got it March 24th. So if you're a parent in the room and you can make it, man, this would be worth your time. The Comer's gonna be with us, intentional parenting seminar. There's a QR code. I'll give you a few minutes if you wanna just uh, zero in on that. Um, love to have you. It, it, our, you know, our kids are crazy and we need help, right? And some of you parents are crazy and you need help. So this will be great. It'll be a, a good time for us. And, you know, as, a, as the pastor of a, of a church, uh, there are some executive privileges. How many knew that? Anybody knew that? There's, there's only a few. <laughs> One of them is I get to show you my grandkids today. They're going to be on the screen. This is a very special treat for you, so let's look. Oh, there's Milo. Milo is a year and two months old. He loves his papa. There's Lucy and Milo. She'll be four in a, in a couple of days, and her little brother, there they are yesterday. How many feel the anointing through the screen? They're, they're already favored and blessed. Um, so it's been a while since I've shown them, and if you don't like that, you need to go to another church. Um, <laughs> I'm just being serious. Okay, so, so, um, Listen, today, the book of John, we're, we're looking at a cast of characters, okay, um, through this whole series. So we've been in since February going up to Easter, and uh, here's where we've been the last few weeks. Week one, we talked about Jesus, uh, his deity and his humanity. Let me just tell you, you got to under, well, to understand fully your salvation and how we relate to God and, and how he relates to us. The deity and the humanity of Jesus, so important for us to understand. Week two, we talked about the disciples and their encounters with Jesus. Uh, Mike Foster talked about uh, the sick and their encounters with Jesus. Last week, I talked to you about Nicodemus and his encounter with Jesus. Today, we're going we're gonna to talk about some of the women that Jesus encountered in the book of John. There are many throughout the Gospels. Uh, we're going to look at two in the book of John, and they're very similar in story. Now, because we're looking at women, I want you to put that aside, the gender aside for just a minute, and, and I want you to just really think about this message as it relates to us, men or women, boys, girls, how it relates to us. And Jesus' encounter with these two women, uh, two of my favorite stories in the book of John, um, I've taught on it many times, so those of you who are hopers, uh, you'll, you'll hear, uh, you've heard this story before many times, but there are some things that, that I think are important, and I'm calling them big ideas from the story. So in the first story, there's going to be three big ideas, and in the second story, there's going to be two big ideas, and, and then we're going to pray together. And so if you're watching online uh, uh, or whatever campus, I want you to pay attention because I really think... The, this is going to be helpful for us in the body of Christ and in your family and in your life. The first encounter is the Samaritan woman, or better known as the woman at the well. We pick it up in John chapter 4, and um, 
Jesus has been in Jerusalem, and he's on his way north to the Sea of Galilee. In between, there is a, an area called Samaria. Samaria was <clears throat> looked down upon by the Jewish people in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas who considered themselves pure Jews. Samaria was an area in which the Jews in years past had intermarried with other religions and cultures. So through the years, they developed this, this you know, area where it, the Jewish people did not consider them pure Jews. Make sense? So usually when Jews would travel from Jerusalem up to Galilee or Capernaum or wherever they were going north, they would go around Samaria because they despised Samaritans. So Jesus decides to go through Samaria. We pick it up in John chapter 4, verse 5. And eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because he, his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. First big idea is this. Jesus breaks barriers and builds bridges. As I said, this was an uncommon event. Jewish man, first of all, talking to a Samaritan woman that he didn't know, just striking up a conversation was, was weird. Second of all, she's a Samaritan. Jews despise Samaritans. Samaritans know this, and so she's like, what, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you asking me? Why are you even talking to me? And, and, and the, the big idea for this part of the story is, is that Jesus doesn't really give a rip about barriers that we have created as a society. He doesn't care about what color skin. He doesn't care about what culture. He doesn't care about where boundaries, you know, countries. He doesn't care about villages and stuff. He breaks down those barriers and he builds a bridge to anyone. And that's, that's what Jesus has called us to do. Uh, I don't know if you've had the chance to go to the movie to see Jesus Revolution. If you, if you haven't, it's worth your time. It's a great movie. And in particular, um, it's special to me because Chuck Smith, the pastor in the story, uh, had a great and, and has had a great impact on my life uh, since I've been pastoring and, and even before then, the Calvary Chapel movement and, and so forth. Just been, I appreciate, I don't agree with every little, little thing they say, but, but I, I appreciate Chuck and, and Greg Laurie, who uh, has come out of that Pastor's Harvest Church in Riverside, California. But anyway, the movie is really, really good. But if you haven't, the, the story is about the hippies in the 60s and 70s, or late 60s, early 70s, 
who were in Southern California and they were looking for God and they were looking for God in all the wrong places, drugs and sex and rock and roll and, 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 and all those things that, that you're never going to find God in, I would say for the most part. And somehow, some way, one of them gets saved, his name's Lonnie, and this pastor in Southern California in Orange County, Costa Mesa, welcomes, reluctantly at first, but welcomes these hippies in to the detriment of the leadership of the church. They were not excited about the hippies coming to church. And, and, and you can just remember, I mean, you think about this. In this little church in Southern California in the late 60s, early 70s, and you got this, you know, kind of uh, little church going you wear a suit and tie, and then all of a sudden, these people with guys with long hair, uh, no shoes, smells like they've been somewhere, and, <laughs> and you know, smoking dope, and uh, possibly some of them, not all of them, but some of them were Christians, and they were bringing their friends. Anyway, the point is, what I appreciate most about this, and it, and it, it was a thing that grew throughout the world. In the 70s, this revolution was a revival of a Jesus movement because one church, specifically a pastor and a few of the people there, welcomed people who didn't look like them, who broke down the cultural barriers and built a bridge. And because of that bridge, Thousands and millions through just one local church, Calvary Chapel, and it became Calvary Chapels all over Southern California, all over California, and then all, all the United States and in the world, and Harvest Crusades with Greg Laurie. Thousands and even millions of people have come to Christ because one church decided that they were going to break barriers and build a bridge. Hope, what opportunity do we have what opportunity do you have as an individual to break down some barriers with people far from God and build bridges? That's what Jesus calls us to do. And in this story, he doesn't even flinch. I mean, doesn't even hesitate to start a conversation, to build a bridge with this Samaritan woman. Okay, that's idea number one, big idea number one. Let's go to verse 15. <clears throat> Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, speaking of living water. <clears throat> then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband for you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Second big idea is this. He acknowledges her sin. Now that's an interesting way to kind of start this conversation. But let me submit to you that he doesn't call out her sin, which he calls it out. He mentions it, 
she's had five husbands. We're not sure of the reasons uh, for those, but she's living with the person now who they're not married and obviously in relationship in ways in which kids don't understand. So I'm just going to assume that you know what I'm saying. He calls her out. Doesn't even know her, but he calls her out. He acknowledges. Now, he doesn't do this to condemn her. He does it to go deeper in the conversation, to go to a higher level for her life. Because they continue to talk about worship. They continue this conversation. But he lets her know, hey, this is not God's design for you. This is not God's purpose for your life. And he's, again, he's not saying these things. Now listen, even though she's a Samaritan, she knows the law. The, I'm sorry, the, the Jewish law. She knows what the law says about sexual relationship. She knows that sex outside of the covenant of marriage is, is wrong and sin. She knows that living with this person and having sexual relationship and then had five husbands, and we're not sure of the reason, but she knows, she understands the law, and Jesus acknowledges, he calls it out, but not to condemn and say, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. How, I mean, how embarrassing. You know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't condemn her. He goes to a higher level because she's, he's got more for her. And Jesus still does that today. He calls us out for our sin. And my question in this big idea is what has Jesus been calling out in your life to call you up? What is he calling out in our lives not to condemn us. There's therefore no condemnation. Again, she is a person who knows the law. Now, she's not living the law, but she's a person who knows the law. We, most of us here are believers. Some of us are not, but most of us are believers. And Jesus is calling us out of our sin, but not to condemn us. And he's looking ahead to the cross, obviously, as he speaks in, in all of his his conversations most of the time he's looking ahead at the cross at what he's going to accomplish in his resurrection but he doesn't do this to condemn us he does this to call us up to call us higher to say man I've got better things this right here the way that you're living the way that I'm living this is going to hurt you this is not the way God designed this is not this is not the the perfect will purpose I have for you and he goes there with her Again, to call her to a higher level. And he still does that today to us. Now, which, no, let me just put it on the screen. Is there anything Jesus may be calling us out on that we have ignored? Is there anything going on in your life, secret? Something you're just being rebellious about, stubborn about? There, there's probably some things that Jesus would not condemn you over, but just to say, hey, John, really? This, this is, I, I've got better for you. That's the spirit in which, I believe, that's the spirit in which he was talking to her. Yeah, you've had five husbands, and you're, the man you're living with is not even your husband. He's not doing that to, to throw stones and, and judgment. He's doing that, again, to say, I've got something better for you. 
I've got something better, a life worth living. Okay, let's go on in the story. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, excuse me, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So let's stop there. Because of, listen, she obviously, I'm going to just assume that she had a reputation in the village of Sychar. I'm going to assume that the people understood or knew her life, most of them. And she comes running. How did she assemble them together? How did she get them to come out? I have no idea. But she comes to the village and she says, come see a man who told me all I ever did. In other words, he called me out. He knew about my stuff, and I don't even know. I've never met this man in my life. He's never met me. He would never know, but yet I think he's the Messiah. And many people come streaming to see him. Verse 39, let's skip. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Here's the last big idea for this encounter. Number three, Jesus can use anyone who's available. He can use anyone who's available. Man, woman, child, you don't have to have a degree, he uses this imperfect, mistake-ridden woman and she changes a village. It says they believed in Jesus because of her testimony, because of what she said. God can use anyone who's available. God says, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh. Men and women will prophesy. He's going to use men, and he's going to use women, and he's going to use teenagers, and he's going to use boys and girls. He's going to use anyone who says yes, anyone who's available. And you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have your ducks in a row, spiritually speaking, and and gone through some class or some regen or whatever. You don't have to do any of those things to be used by God. If you have a story, if Jesus has changed your life, he can use you. All she did, she didn't quote any scripture. She didn't go back to the Old Testament and say, hey, look, it prophesies that Jesus is gonna be there. No, she just says, hey, this is my story. This guy told me all the bad things I did. He knew my life. He's the Messiah. They believed. Guys, what is it that God wants to do through you? All you gotta do is be available. And many of us, we live in guilt or shame because of our marriage that, got, that went bad, because of something we did, because of, and I'm not excusing anything that is wrong. I'm just saying that she was in the middle of doing wrong. She was in the middle of doing what God, Jesus said, hey, you're living with this guy. You're not even married and you're having sex and all this stuff. But yet, he used her. Now, I know, I know many of you are thinking, well, that was just an isolated incident. no. You, go, you read the Gospels. That's who he used. 
People who were available, not people who had credentials. Now the question is, are you, are we available? Do you have a story? Has Jesus changed your life? Tell the story. Tell the story. First encounter, woman at the well. Second encounter, love this story, adulterous woman. Now, I know these are both negative. (laughs) There were many great women in the Gospels, okay? So don't send me an email saying, what about the Mary? Mary was awesome. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was awesome, okay? So these two stories happen to be, you know, negative, but I have some thoughts about this, so let me, I'll, I'll share those when I get there. But chapter 8, verse 1, is the story of the adulterous woman. This is the second encounter, and I have two observations, big ideas, and we'll, we'll pray. Here we go. Chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next, he's in Jerusalem. Early the next morning, he went back again at the, uh, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he was teaching them, or he taught them. As, <clears throat> as he was speaking... The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Now, I've often wondered, um, where's the man? Where's the guy? Why didn't they bring him? Right? I mean, so, so there was two at this story. I don't know what the, the deal was, but I don't, I just say, I just say man, that was, that was the culture. I understand it but it was wrong, and and they brought her to Jesus instead of both of them to Jesus. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Now, the reason they were asking this is they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stopped down, or stooped down again, and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Big idea number one. Everyone's a sinner. I just read this story, and these religious leaders were, and, and, and I want you to think about it. I know that we've known this story for a long time. I just want you to think about our current culture, especially in the Christian culture, and how some sins are detestable, but our sins are, I'm not saying they're okay, but they're not as detestable as that one. Does it make sense? That's where these people are. That's where these religious leaders are. She's caught in the act of adultery. Now, what were they doing? Watching? I'm going to preach it. Yeah, I mean, 
what, what were they, I mean, how did they know? Anyway, let's go back to the, to the, the verse, verse 7. It says, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up and said, okay, anybody who is here that has never sinned, you can throw the first stone, and beginning from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks, and they walked away. Why? Because everyone's a sinner. And we like to call out the sin in others, but get the grace for ours. Right? Don't we do I mean, we all do this. You ever looked at somebody on TV, award show, some kind of Emmys or Grammys or whatever, and you look and go, oh my gosh, this is sick. Well, you're watching it, right? <laughs> You'll go on social media, I just cannot believe this is ridiculous. What is our world coming to? And you're sitting there going, man, I'm just, you're just judging everyone, enjoying the show, so to speak. We like to call out the sin of others, but it's not really what we want to do with our sin. David, you remember King David, most famous king in Israel, still to this day. David is revered. They just found his, his I was, I've been to the area in which when I was there, they were ex- excavating where his palace was. They found his palace. It's really cool. But anyway, famous king, man after God's own heart. <clears throat> I mean, he was not perfect. And in fact, in, in one season of his life, he committed adultery with a married woman and then arranged to have her husband put on the front lines in the war so that he would be killed to cover up the sin because she got pregnant and thought everything was good until Nathan, the prophet, comes. And he tells David a story, right? He, and I'll paraphrase the story, but one little poor guy um, had one little lamb, and it was his, you know, some of you have dogs that you just, they're like kids. This little lamb was like a kid. It was like part of the family, lived and slept in the house and was just awesome, and, and, and this guy loved this lamb. Well, there was a neighbor who had many herds of sheep and came and stole that lamb so that he could offer it uh, as a meal to friends. And while Nathan's telling this story, David's angry, sitting on the edge of his throne. How dare they? That guy should pay for this. You know, he's going off and off, and, and, and Nathan just looked. You know when Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts, Nathan just looks at David and he says, you're the man. You took what did not belong to you and God's calling you out. Now David could have said, how dare you? What are you talking about? But he, he surrendered and he repented. Big idea. Number two, grace and accountability. Grace and accountability. Jesus looks at the woman and understands her sin, but he offers grace. He says, no condemnation. That's the grace part. No condemnation. And we love that part. How many love that part? Raise your hand. You love that part. That's a great part, right? Because we love a good story. We love it when it's like, oh man, those are great. But most of us are like the religious leaders. We've, we've got little kinds of sin in our, may, they may not be the most obvious sins, but we've all got sins. We gossip, we, we have bad attitudes on the highway or you know whatever, and we say things, we think things, we do things. But when we see somebody 
do something that we just think is way worse than ours, we want to call it out. And, and you want me to call it out. You want me to say, hey, preach it. You need to be more angry, John. Get those sinners, get that hot flames of hell going. Get some seated heats, or heated seats, seated heats. Get some heated seats. And make people feel it, right? Well, how about we start with you and me? He says, where are your accusers? They're gone. Oh, okay. The only one in the world living who could have thrown a stone said, neither do I condemn you. Now, he knew the law. He knew what she deserved. Listen, everybody look at me. He knows what we deserve too. And you know what he offers? Instead of condemnation, instead of judgment, instead of a stone, he offers grace. But it doesn't end there. And many of us people, many of us as people live in the first part of the phrase, neither do I condemn you. And we end the story. But Jesus says, now go and send no more. Meaning, probably specifically, hey, that specific sin, because we all know we're going to sin, that specific sin, don't, don't do that anymore. Let's, let's get away from that. That's not God's will for your life. See, there's this grace and accountability. Now, we are not saved because we're accountable. Now, I want you to hear me. I want you all to hear me. We are not saved because we don't commit adultery or because we don't lie or because we don't steal or because we don't bear false witness or we don't, uh, uh, not, we, we don't honor our mother and father. We don't get saved or right with God because we're accountable. We are saved by grace. How many thank God for that? We are saved by grace. Yes. But, but Jesus, but Jesus, God, neither do I condemn you now let me call you to something bigger than what you're living. And many of us live with only one part of the statement, neither do I condemn you. And there are two. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I think in the Christian culture, let me say this, in the Christian culture, boy, you do not like, we do not like anybody calling out our sin. Whether that be sexual sin, whether that be unforgiveness. I don't know, I don't think that's a word, but, but I'll just use it as a word. When we withhold forgiveness for somebody, we don't, want, we don't want anybody calling me out on that. Because you don't know what I've lived. You don't know what I've been through. The, the interesting thing, now hear this. Jesus does not condemn us. Why? Because he's looking forward. We look back because on the cross, he's going to take upon himself our sin, past, present, and future. He's going to take upon himself all of our sin. So the payment that we should pay, the, the, the life that we should have lived, the law that we should have kept, he knew that we wouldn't, so he doesn't condemn. Why? Because he will pay the condemnation. He will receive the wrath of God on the cross for our sin. So everybody look at me. God's not mad at you. The wrath of God was taken out on Jesus on that cross. 
And that is the good news of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. He says, you're accountable too. No condemnation. Hey, I've got better ways for you. I've got a higher purpose for you. That's why he calls us out. That's why he calls us to another level. It's not because he's trying to withhold something. It's not because he's trying to judge us and make us feel bad about our humanity. He's just saying, hey, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take the, the wrath. I'm going to take the brunt of the condemnation on me. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus not only said it, he lived it. But, and when I say but, it's not an addition to the gospel. It's, hey, I've got something better for you. I've got a higher purpose for you. And the way that God designed you and the way that the word helps us understand the way God wants us to live, man, when you get that together, man, I can do so many things in you and through you. And many of us here, in fact, all of us here, are the woman at the well and the adulterous woman. We're all her. The religious leaders were her. They just didn't realize it. So maybe you're here today. Where, maybe you're watching online somewhere. Maybe you're at another campus. And you're in need of God's grace. You need to hear, neither do I condemn you. And right now, you're in the middle of a mess. Maybe one that you've created and one that was created for you, but you're, you're in this sinful mess right now. Maybe you've never surrendered your life. Maybe you're like the adulterous woman and the woman at the well who knew the law, maybe raised in church, but you are not living the way God's called you to live. You need to hear that I'm not, I'm not here to condemn you, Jesus would say. If he were here, I'm not here to condemn you. I've already paid that price. I'm just saying, man, you want something better? You want a better life? You want something better for you right now? I've got a higher calling. And so maybe you're here in need of that. Or maybe you're a believer and you're saying, John, I don't sin all that much. I don't really need his grace all that much. Well, first of all, you're dumb. <laughs> and I say that, you know, with humility. <laughs> but we're all in need. And it is so easy for us to call out the sin of others who are not even believers and ridicule and just, I mean, whatever. And I'm not, I'm not against standing up for righteousness. Please don't understand that. Please understand that. I'm just saying, guys, we're all sinners. Let's live the way God's called us to live. Let's be accountable. Let's receive his grace and then be accountable. If you're here today and you need to hear no condemnation, I offer forgiveness and I offer purpose. I want you to think about that and take a step today. If you're a, 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 if you're a believer in the room and you are a part of the religious community who, have, who has rocks in your hand, can we just decide today that we're going to drop those? We're going to drop those. And we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to break down barriers. We're going to build bridges. We're going to live in his grace, and we're going to walk the, lot, the life that he's called us to walk as best we can. We'll never be perfect, but we're going to do those two things. And when you can manage those tensions, because every day we need grace, and every day we probably need some accountability, maybe you need to make a decision today to drop those rocks. Lord, 
your word is powerful, it's sharp, it's two-edged sword, it helps us, helps us understand our way and your way, soul and spirit. And I pray that today for those in the room that need to hear no condemnation, neither do I condemn you. I pray for them. God, I pray that today would be the day where they would cross that line and say, Lord, I receive the sacrifice that you made for me. You took upon yourself my condemnation. I receive it. I believe it. I repent of my sin, my way, and I turn to your way. And many of us in the room need to drop our rocks Many of us in the room need to deal with some of the things going on in our lives that nobody knows about. Biases, racism, bigotry, whatever it is. We need to drop our rocks and say, God, help me to be a better light in this world. Help me to, to, to lead people by your kindness rather than my anger. So Lord, let your kingdom come in my life, in our life. Let us be a church who breaks barriers, and builds bridges, all the while teaching the word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're the one who changes lives and makes us into the person that you've called us to be. So Lord, we humbly surrender today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.